In Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll created an epic female character. I've always loved her, and I admire that through her misadventures, she recognizes that very few things are really impossible. Hello, and welcome to Six Impossible Things. I am your host, Matt Collage, and I'd like to introduce you to my humble approach to understanding your creative potential. Every Tuesday, I will share with you thoughts, strategies, and a few anecdotes from my own experience as a creative. We will tread on the heels of Alice into a world of ingenuity and imagination. I hope you'll find inspiration to be creative in your own unique way. It will be a boost to your life in many different aspects, not only in art making. So there's always room at the table. Let's put the kettle on and get this party started. Hello and welcome back to another bite-sized episode of Six Impossible Things. I'm joining you today from my living room and I'm sitting right next to my fireplace because it's frigid outside and it's windy too. Um, but despite all that, I just saw my neighbor's cat when I looked out the window and I thought that it was very fitting considering today's episode. He was keeping an eye on the bird feeder, I think, and uh, there are a lot of red cardinals that come to eat this time of the year, and I guess that's what attracted him. I just hope that he's just keeping himself entertained with bird TV. I don't want any drama, please. But anyway, let's get going. Up until now, we've spoken about a few of the big issues surrounding creativity. We talked about patience and perseverance and effort, dedication, confidence. These key issues keep coming up because they're really important and because I need to underscore how they play such a crucial role in developing a creative practice. They all work in concert. However, there's still something that we haven't yet mentioned. I feel it is high time that we touch upon intuition. Intuition is a difficult topic for discussion. It feels so slippery, so intangible. It's quite difficult to describe. I think I have only made perhaps one passing reference to it when I defined it as a feeling in the pit of your stomach, which is, well, a fair yet incomplete description. Let's talk today about the role of intuition in the life of a creative. Later in the episode, we will talk about the Cheshire Cat. I see clear similarities between them because both the cat and the intuitive part of your brain have the habit of appearing and disappearing. Sometimes they're ready to guide you and sometimes they are nowhere to be found. Trust me, the big Cheshire cat could be the embodiment of intuition itself. You might have heard or perhaps read that letting go of artistic restraint and opening yourself to imagination is one way of summoning intuition. 
you are trying to allow images to emerge unencumbered. As a result, your art making becomes expressive and intuitive. Well, clearly, it is easier said than done. Creating intuitively is definitely about forgetting the product and enjoying the ride. That is true. Process is paramount if you lead with intuition. When you concentrate on what you're doing in the present, the exercise becomes the product. You are not bothered so much about the result, and instead you are invested in how working transforms you internally. The problem with intuition is that it is completely spontaneous and rather difficult to sustain over time. The intuitive approach to art seems to happen in surges, and that force, that intuition, is not always available when you want it. It simply cannot be conjured up at will. As I've mentioned before, there are things that help facilitate intuition, having a safe setting in which to create, and being in an environment free of judgment, for instance. But these are just, perhaps, incentives. They're ideal situations, and we're not always able to position ourselves in the perfect setting. Nobody knows where lightning will strike, right? Let me tell you a little story. We'll pause for a minute, and I promise it will be short. We have a word in Spanish that doesn't have a literal translation into English. That word is duende. In the dictionary, it is defined as a spirit that can cause chaos, but, and stay with me, in a creative way. Duende is not destructive at all. It is a force that puts you in a kind of euphoric state in which you are capable of things that are wonderful and beautiful. That is duende. It is not a fairy or a ghost. It is an immaterial, invisible energy, and it moves you. You fall under its spell. It visits you for a while, and then it moves on. Duende is the definition of a free spirit. When I think of intuition, duende always comes to mind. And here is the core of this anecdote. I remember watching television as a child, and uh, it was one of those black and white TVs, so you can imagine how long ago that was. And it was during Holy Week. My house was like that David Burns song. The television was always on. And there I was, sitting, drawing, who knows what I was doing, but the television was in the background. So Spain has lots of holidays with religious origins. During Holy Week, there were, and still are, processions with statues of the Virgin Mary or Christ. These statues become the centerpiece of very elaborate parades. There are flowers everywhere, massive candles, people decorate balconies and streets, there are colorful costumes, and whole neighborhoods take great pride in showing their devotion and appreciation for these traditions. The statues are life-size or sometimes larger, and they wear 
extravagant garments with gold and silver thread. I mean, these events are big, big productions, particularly in the South. So they used to broadcast the most famous ones, and I would watch them on TV out of the corner of my eye while, as I said, I was making something or drawing something. As a child, I didn't really understand, and it felt kind of boring. But suddenly, someone on the screen would be overcome with emotion at seeing the statue go by. People sometimes fainted or cried, and I was keeping my eye out for these strange behaviors because they came out of nowhere. Other people threw carnations or roses at the statue. But amazingly, someone, a complete anonymous person, man or woman, would out of nowhere again start singing a beautiful unscripted song and the whole procession would come to a screeching halt. The song was sad and the lyrics were always very poetic. It would last for a minute or two and it felt like everyone was holding their breath simultaneously. You could hear a pin drop. The whole sea of people following the statue would stand motionless because they were in the presence of spirit or duende. Once the person was done, the procession would move on. As an interesting aside, I'll tell you that these songs are called saetas, that's one word for arrow. The idea is that an angel shoots an arrow into your heart and the result is the song. A song of pain, beauty, faith, and hope. By the way, I didn't mention this before, but these statues are fitted onto very tall platforms and they're partially covered with a canopy. They are surrounded with really tall candles and masses of flowers. The whole thing is called a paso, and they move step by step on the shoulders of about 50 men who stand underneath, outside completely from the crowd, because all four sides of the paso are fitted with long silk skirts. These men are guided from the outside by a handler, I don't know the name of that person. I don't know what that person's duties are or what he's called. But the whole thing is really difficult to do and it takes hours. And keep in mind that these things weigh upwards of 5,000 pounds sometimes. They are huge. But I'm deviating from my point. The point is that my family wasn't religious in the least. We didn't go to church ever. We just didn't talk about these things. But even as a child, I was still struck by that unexplained burst of inspiration. I had no point of reference, but I wanted to know why and how. And in time, I did. To a point, because some things are inexplicable. And I have to apologize now if this seems to be turning into an anthropological study of Holy Week in Spain. It's just a glimpse, really. Some needed background information. So as an adult who works in a creative field, 
I often remember that duende is real. Whatever they call it, whatever you call it, I think many artists would tell you that they've experienced it. And I also think that people who just write about art theoretically have never felt it. It requires a great deal of openness and modesty and also vulnerability. So if you wish, we can remove all religious aspects of duende, but I would still say that there is something spiritual about it. Possessing intuitive intelligence is a remarkable thing, and any artist who can tap into it is indeed very, very fortunate in my opinion. And it might be different from artist to artist, but the foundation is always about trust. You can't facilitate intuition by thinking really, really hard about it. You have to position yourself in a place of trust and let your subconscious open up to it. You need to expose your chest to the angel so the arrow can reach you and your heart can sing. It will happen or it will not, but it is worth trying. But wait a minute, whatever happened to our friend the Cheshire Cat? I didn't forget about it and neither did Alice. It is time to think about what this character has to do with intuition. The Cheshire Cat is a guide. He takes us in the direction of those satisfying moments of intuitive creation. He also guides Alice when she's confused and feels defeated. When nobody else will help her, the cat comes to support her. Alice has come across a panoply of characters, bossy ones, cruel ones. But the Cheshire Cat puts interesting questions to her and more importantly, answers her questions as well. He is a little evasive because he likes riddles and mystery, but at least he points her in the direction of progress. He helps restore a sense of control within Alice by giving her options and showing her that she's capable of choice. In Wonderland, the Cheshire Cat seems to be a representation of the subconscious, which is a combination of curiosity and thoughts, and beliefs and ideas, all fragmented and blended and trying to emerge. What we do as creatives, what Alice does in the book, is to carry out practical behaviors so that the moment of inspiration is not lost. We ask questions, we look for answers, we try to capture the opportunity. There is a point in your process, whatever you're doing, when you realize that there's more than your brain telling your hand what to do. There are surprises, unscripted moments. Suddenly, you are a vehicle, and your sense of control gets somewhat undermined, but it is not a bad feeling at all. You would think otherwise because usually losing control over what you're doing is not a very nice thing, but not in this case. Rest assured, it is still safe to proceed. And if you are a cat person, like I am, you probably have seen how cats own their space. 
how they have poise and confidence, and it is a little inexplicable given their size. They always look to me like they know so much and they tell us so little. It's no wonder they have been revered in so many cultures around the world. There are reasons why cats and humans have a very symbiotic and unique relationship. And looking at Alice's Cheshire cat again, you have to wonder why Carol used this large, unpredictable, enigmatic feline as assistance for our hero. And I think that it's all in the grin. The cat balances Alice's hesitation and inexperience. That enigmatic grin implies experience. It implies knowledge. He is, in no small measure, a guiding spirit that will help Alice find not just the garden, but herself. I want to believe there are guiding spirits and teachers out there for all of us. Keep your eyes wide open to recognize yours when you meet them and deploy all the creativity you can muster to solve the riddles they will put to you. Do you put a great deal of weight on intuition when you create? I would like to know. What do you think of this topic? Don't hesitate to drop me a line, please. Meet me here next Tuesday when we will find ourselves in the company of some very unruly characters. It's time to sit down for tea. If we can get a word edgewise, we'll try to talk about values. How do they inform your choice of creative practice, for instance? Like Alice does throughout a ridiculous tea party, we will strive to know our mind and keep our cool in the face of rudeness and contradiction. But before leaving the table, try to have a cup of tea for sustenance. The road ahead is still long and full of surprises. Take good care, and I'll see you Tuesday. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Six Impossible Things. I hope you enjoyed it. Please join me again next week. Subscribe on your favorite app so you don't miss any episodes. And visit madcollage.com for original artwork, exclusive prints, and monthly offers. For extra goodies, please visit my Redbubble store and select your favorite merchandise. You can also help make Six Impossible Things possible with a small contribution so that I can enjoy a lovely cup of tea while I write and edit this content. Have a peaceful and creative week. Take care.